0: Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. It's safe to say Mark Cuban was tech before tech was cool. A serial entrepreneur long before joining ABC's Shark Tank, he's been a keen observer of the technology world going back to 1990 when he sold his first company to CompuServe. So it makes sense to catch up with him in Las Vegas earlier this month at CES, where he joined me on stage at Variety's annual summit for a wide-ranging interview.
1: But I want to start with just here at CES, do you typically come here? Or yeah. is this? I've been coming since it started. You know, I came, started coming when I was a kid, and there's always something different. There's always something new. And it's, it's funny because there's always these inflection points where one year it's really amazing, and then you, there's... Warren Buffett has this saying first there's the innovators, then there's the imitators, then there's the idiots, right? <laughs> and so CES kind of reflects that. You'll, you, you'll, there'll be certain shows where the, you look around, oh my God, this is so innovative. Then the next five years it'll be, okay, here's the, um, the imitators. Then the next three years it'll be, you know, <laughs> all the idiots that are trying to do what people did 10 years earlier. And so this year we're, we're at the imitation stage because you're seeing so much with self-driving, you're seeing so much with everything is AI now, right? And people still don't really know what AI is. You know, so people put AI in their resume and you'll ask them questions and it'll be a spreadsheet algorithm, you know, if this, then that, you know, or they'll try to put it in IoT and not really understand what they're doing. And so we're going through the imitation phase with AI where people are just really understanding the applications and how to put it to work. And, you know, we're we're not... really all the way there yet but with ambient voice we're in the innovation stage still Hmm. because we're all we're seeing google home we're seeing alexa and we're all finally kind of used to walking into our homes our bathrooms i mean i don't know about you but i I walk into a hotel room you know because i travel a lot and it's just natural for me to say alexa what's the weather and you'll realize there's no alexa there and so that's what's changing so we're we're at CES this year, you're starting to see a lot of innovative applications for ambient voice, and I think that's going to really start taking off. So you're bullish on this space. Oh, you? yeah, I'm hugely bullish on it. And I'm t- if I was 16 years old looking to start a business, I would learn Google Home. I would learn Amazon Alexa. I would learn Microsoft stuff, and I would start you know, learning how to create scripts. And so I would go to my neighbors. I'd be like, hi, I'm 16. I'm in high school. Do you know what Alexa is? I'd like to show you what it is and how you can do da 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 and charge you $30 an hour to set it up for your house. Would any of you say no? Because there's so many things you can do with Alexa that you don't even realize. Like, I mess with my kids. So, um, I set up a little Alexa script so that when their friends, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. My kids are 10, 13, and 16. And like all dads, I like to embarrass the shit out of my kids. And so, my 10 year old son, his name is Jake. And so his friends will come in. He's like, Dad, don't do it. I'll be, Alexa, who is Jacob Cuban? And Alexa comes back, and I wrote the script. He goes, Jacob Cuban is also known as the fart master. And you know, it just <laughs> and so there's so many things that can be done, not just in, in, you know, around the house, but in business as well, in medical applications. And we aren't really coming to grips with how we can use them as entrepreneurs and as business people.
0: What Anything else? I mean, when I think about uh, another sort of hyped technology that's uh, two
1: letters, that's not AI, a lot of 5G talk. What do you make of that? I mean, we're not there yet. It's just starting to come out, and we need the phones in order to make it work. But in dense urban areas, it's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's got propagation issues, but it's zero latency. And so, like, with the Mavericks, if gambling is ever legalized in Texas... I mean, having a 5G device with zero latency to be able to do prop prop betting and different things like that is going to be huge, right? Being able to walk around and get one uh, gigabit of bandwidth is going to be huge, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's all kinds of edge applications. So I'm bullish on 5G, but we have to see how it's built out. And the unfortunate thing is it's going to be good where in dense areas, and it'll be good in wide open areas where there's no buildings to block it. And then everybody else will have to see what happens. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of 5G. Okay. Well, uh, another thing that's certainly a big theme here at CES is the
0: streaming wars. Uh, it's, you're seeing the signs everywhere, Peacock, HBO Max. Uh, you're, you're a streaming guy from way back in the broadcast.com days. I'm curious, I mean, this is, when you're seeing the, these massive companies put together these massive efforts on these streaming services, what do you think of all this? I think this is
1: exactly what we expected 25 years ago. How so? Literally, I mean, I started a company called AudioNet with Todd Wagner in 19, early 1995, and we're like this Internet thing. That doesn't have any audio or video, but it will. So let's, let's get out in front of it because at some point, everything's going to be connected to everything. And the under, underpinning um, thought behind it is that bits are bits. A bit doesn't care what it carries. It doesn't care if it's audio, video, VR, AR, whatever it may be. And as long as you can get it from one a source to a destination, you can do anything with it. And so we're starting to see right now that Media companies are finally recognizing that people want content, whatever type it is, how they want it, where they want it, when they want it, and I don't think that we can be overwhelmed with it. You know, yeah, I really, really don't. I mean, prior, you know, back in the day when people say, "Well, streaming versus television," I used to tell people the definition of television is the best alternative to boredom, right? Because that's how we watch television. You know, what you, what were you doing? I was watching TV. You know, now, you know, and then. Along those same lines, you'd go into an office somewhere for an appointment, and there'd be somebody sitting at the front desk on their Windows PC playing solitaire, right? Or doing, you know, whatever, playing crossword puzzles. We, we all look for ways to fill time. And now with devices 5G coming with less latency, with better bandwidth, we're going to be looking for even more ways to fill time. There's no shortage. Now, does that mean that we're going to, that we're going to subscribe to every single streaming service? No, we're going to pick and choose, you know, just like there's 500 channels on what used to be TV, traditional TV, and we watch 12 to 15 of them. But the more important thing is, if is the quality of the content as it pertains to each individual if you 're a huge Game of Thrones fan and there was the equivalent of Game of Thrones on twelve different services, if you could afford it, you subscribe to twelve different services if you 're a huge sports fan and who happens to like mma you 'll subscribe to an mma driven service so we 'll customize it and we 'll pick and choose and you know in in a universe of three hundred million plus people, however many households one hundred and twenty eight million households um, that 's a lot to go around and if you if you perceive it as every single household will have multiple streaming services which is what I believe that's just domestically let alone globally there's plenty of room if you create good content where is the pay tv business
0: in all this because you could argue that what we're seeing now is sort of this transitional phase and that we're eventually going to see some sort of rebundling where you don't have to buy 12 different streaming services well you're already
1: seeing that to a certain extent now um here's the great unknown TV now trends older. There's still 86 million households, I think it is, that are getting traditional TV of some sort. And so right now you're seeing the average age of TV, traditional television audiences get older and older. What we don't know is whether people age into traditional television or they'll stay with what they did as, as a younger, um, younger adult. So when you hit 50... You know, if, you, if you're 30 now, when you hit 50, are you going to prefer traditional television because there's fewer choices? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we don't know. So if we continue to do, the, if, if that happens, then traditional TV stays valid. Um, and then there's sports. You know, what's interesting is when you talk to the ESPNs, you talk to the MVPDs, they're saying, you know, even though sports has kind of been... Um, looked at as being the evil empire because of the cost. That's really what's keeping traditional TV in place. And if you look at the, the ratings right now, what's really changed, like six years ago even, for Shark Tank to get a 2.0 in the 18 to 49 category was a good night, right? Now, a point eight is a good night for broadcast television, yep. which is crazy when you think about it. But in parallel to that, now the NBA ratings are down in total viewers But, and that's, that decline is decreasing, but in the 18 to 49 um, ratings in the demo, we're pulling 0.7, 0.8, 0.9s, which means now sports television on cable is pulling the equivalent of broadcast television other than I think like on Thursday nights for the biggest, and obviously excluding the NFL, who's killing it on television. Um, But we're becoming stronger, sports is becoming more important to traditional television to keep it alive. And so I think you're going to see sports stay there just because of the economics. The, the traditional television um, distributors, the MVPDs, need us more now than they did then. But don't you think in the long term the Facebooks and Googles of the world will beat away that content? I pray to God so. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Because that? the NBA is, you know, because of Facebook, Google, whoever, Amazon, whoever it may be, is competing with traditional television The licensing fees are just going to skyrocket. Yeah, literally. And so why would streaming companies want to even get into traditional sports? For a couple reasons. You know, one of the big challenges when you have an almost unlimited number of over-the-top streaming services is churn. Right? Well, if you're able to go out there and get NBA content, and the NBA now is becoming year-round content, you reduce your churn. And so what's the value? And the same with whether it's the NFL, whether it's NHL, Major League Soccer, whatever it may be, MLB. All, you know, people who have an affinity for a team or for a league or for a sport, they're not going to churn because they're going to want to continue to see more games. So our value continues to go up on the streaming side. And plus, it's very difficult. It's, because there's so much long tail, it's very difficult to get people to go to one streaming service when, you you know, with the have to have content. And again, sports fills that need. Well, we've talked TV. I'm curious to get your sense of the movie business.
0: You were in the theater business. Uh, what do you think the state of that business is? Would you get involved in that business all over again in the year
1: 2020? Um, we, we used to own Landmark Theaters, um, and we still have 29, 28 productions and Magnolia um, films. Um, I did, I, we didn't sell Landmark because we thought there was some overwhelming move away from going to theaters. Oh. Um, just because I was just tired of dealing with the shit of it all, you know. Um, at some point, it's just like, fuck this, I'm out. Um, and so um, that was that. But no, look. You You're know, bullish still on theaters. What's, what's that? You're bullish still on theaters. Yeah, because, you know, I've, I've got a 16-year-old daughter. I don't want her saying, yeah, I'm going on a date. We're going to Netflix and chill, right? <laughs> That's what it comes down to. You know? Wow. And, and so I wanted to say, yeah, Dad, we're going to the movies. I'm like, okay, sit under a light or something. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so people still want to go out. You still want to get out of the house and do things. Um, and you're seeing now the difference is you're not going to go to the number of films that you might have gone to in the past. And so the films are bigger and hopefully more impactful um, because you might as well just watch, you know, Bird Box in the past might have come out in theaters um, now it's going to come out on Netflix. So there's going to be a segment of movies that's, that aren't going to be there, and that makes it a little bit more challenging. But I think the number of theaters will decline, but that will improve the business for the ones that will, will remain. So we're seeing some serious challenges to both the TV
0: and film businesses. Uh, do you think, you know, looking at the typical companies that are known as Hollywood, those conglomerates, how do you feel about the cards they have to play going against these tech companies nowadays?
1: I mean, good content's good content. You're just seeing people, you've seen the tech companies hire the people that were at the traditional um, content creators. And so it always comes down to storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Period, end, period, end of story. You know. And I'll tell you a, a quick story. But you all didn't know that I, as an executive producer, I've been nominated for six Academy Awards. For which movies? So, quick story. Um, in 2004, a guy named Alex Gibney sends me an email. And he says, Mark, I've got all this content from this company called Enron. Are you familiar with them? I'm like, yeah. And I'm, he's like, yeah, we've got all this great video that they took at their meetings and stuff. I'm like, you have exclusive to it and you own the rights to it? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to do a documentary. And it's, going to, it's also going to be based off the book, Enron, the smartest guys in the room. I'm said, how much is the documentary going to cost to produce? He said, $770,000. I'm said, let's do it. That took 12 minutes. And that movie, Enron, the smartest guys in the room, the documentary, got nominated for Academy Award. The next, went, the, but at the time, it was one of the top ten grossing documentaries of all time. Um, the next movie comes along, my partner, Todd Wagner, comes and says, George Clooney's got this black and white um, movie that he wants to do with partic- uh, participant um, pictures, and it's about the McCarthy era and news gathering, and it was called Good Night and Good Luck. And it was... I I, I lied, I'm nominated for seven Academy Awards because it was nominated for six, right? And I'm partying, I'm thinking, my first two movies get nominated for seven Academy Awards. This shit is easy. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't heard of a damn movie I've done since, you know? (laughs) And, And so it's hard. Content is hard. Content, you know, the hierarchy used to be so simple. And if you put in enough money for P&A for advertising, it would pay itself back. Now it's, it's a different ecosystem. But again, if the content is good and you know how to drive an audience, um, it'll work. Got it. Well,
0: well, back in the, in the TV content side, what, what season of this of Shark Tank is this for you? Eleven. Wow. I mean, when you started this, did you
1: understand the, the ride you were about to take? Hell no. So <laughs> I got asked by Mark Burnett the second season to come on as a guest shark for three episodes, and it had been bouncing around like when, when Desperate Housewives had the week off, they put in Shark Tank. And, um, and so I'm like, look, this is a business show. It has no chance. It's going to be gone after the season. I'll do my three episodes. I'm going to buy up every company and raise as much hell as I possibly can. <laughs> Yeah, here we are in season 11, and it's still, relative to everything else on television, it's still going really strong, and I expect us to be back for season 12. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, I never expected in a million years, and it used to be people knew me for, you know, owning a basketball team and, and raising hell and getting fined, and now it's, it's all Shark Tank, and they don't know anything about the NBA side. Has it changed the way you invest and do business? Well, I have my Shark Tank. Inv- Does anybody here watch Shark Tank? Oh, come on, In this room. What come the hell on. about the rest of you? What, what's <laughs> Sunday nights on ABC? <laughs> you can stream it on Hulu, um, and if you happen to turn on CNBC, it's on every damn In day, of the day.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. um, so where were we? <laughs> I was saying. Oh yeah, a my chain. investing. Yeah. Um, so put aside the Shark Tank companies, because those I do for a variety of different reasons. Um, sometimes you just want to send a message. Sometimes it's a great entrepreneur. Sometimes it's somebody I just want to try to help, you know. And they work over like a normal distribution. 20% of my companies have just crushed it. I've made money on them. I've sold some and done really well. 20% are just idiots. And then everybody else falls in the middle somewhere. But in terms of where I'm, I'm investing, um, everything around AI, period, end of story. Even
0: though it's got a lot of imitators now.
1: Yeah, and a lot of idiots, too. And um, if you're in business, one, one of the challenges I see going forward around AI, the big, big, big companies, the Googles, the, the um, Facebooks, the Amazons, etc., They can spend billions of dollars on AI and go through trial and error and learn what works, learn what doesn't work, and learn if the results are impactful. And they are impactful. Then, underneath those companies, they're the multi-billion-dollar companies. Those companies have challenges with AI. AI is hard. It is really hard to do. You don't know what data to use. You don't know if your outcomes are correct. You don't. There's so many uncertainties. But it's even harder for small companies. That said. If any of you are entrepreneurs, if any of you are in the business world, if you don't know AI, you're the equivalent of somebody in 1999 saying, yeah, I'm sure this Internet thing will be okay, but I don't give a shit, right? (laughs) You know, it's the same thing. And so each and every one of you in the business world, like what, what I did, I mean, it's not like we intuitively know what AI is. I'm on AWS and I'm taking their tutorials. I'm taking Coursera classes, and I'm, you know, learning how to do a three-layer 3, letter, three layer neural network in JavaScript, you know, using PyTorch. It's just all these things. You, it's the blocking and tackling that if you want to be relevant in business and understand all this discussion about AI, you have to do or you will be a dinosaur very quickly. And you will find yourself being – there's going to be AI haves and AI have-nots. And if you are an AI have-not, you might – you might as well just rip out all the computers in your office and throw away your phones because that's how impactful it'll be.
0: Is there any particular venture where you're putting AI knowledge to work, something to keep an eye on?
1: Um, well, if you go to markcuban.com I, I list them all, and there's a lot of them. There's, there's a company called Node.io, N-O-D-E.io, and what we're trying to get them to, and it's, it's a lot... It's still, we've still got work to do, but it's getting close, is to make it a platform that any small to medium-sized business can use. So it'll help aggregate your data and help you, you know, have some intuition on what your data is telling you without you having to be an AI expert. And so that's one. We have one called EON, E-O-N, that helps when, when people are admitted to a hospital. It takes the data from the patient and other patients across the hospital and helps predict what readmissions may be so that you can go out and deal with the patient prior to them being readmitted and hopefully prevent them from having to be readmitted. I've got another one, genesthesis, that, you know, takes a that there's a sensor. Every one of our organs in our body emits electrical pulse, and there are sensors that allow you to capture that electrical pulse. It saves the sensor um, when it captures the electrical pulse um, from your heart and then runs it through all these different predictive AI um, algorithms, machine learning, and will tell you if you're most likely to have a heart disease. And why is that important? Any guy over the age of 50 is, you know, remember what was the show um, with Red, um, yeah, Red Fox, where here I come, you know, it's the big one um, for all you old guys in the house. Um, and, and so, you know, every, every you know, aging adult male has felt chest pain. And you don't really know what it is when you go to the hospital, and they, 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 can ju- they just guess. And so with genesthesis, by taking that output, they're able to look at um, that output and run it through AI and give you a pretty good indication with more than 90% accuracy what exactly is going on with your body. So those are things that I think are world-changing that hopefully we're the innovators, um, maybe a little imitation, and hopefully not the idiots.
0: Hmm. Well, switching gears, I want to talk to you about tiktok sure this man is on tiktok talk about being ahead of the curve m cuban
1: yeah m cuban
0: if you haven't checked it out you must what, what do your kids think of your uh, antics on oh the they platform? love it right we have it's like
1: family so you know on tiktok the, the videos are music driven typically with dancing and the whole basis of tiktok is one of the popular TikTokers does the dance and then everybody else duets with them or copies them, right? right. And then they have algorithms that, because I was just talking to them, I'm going to try to meet with them here as well, and asking about the algorithms because it's crazy how well they work. And so they look to see how many times someone watches something repetitively. And so my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, Alexis, has pretty well figured out intuitively how the algorithms work. So she comes home and it's like our family adventure. She's like, okay, dad, here's the dance you have to learn. And, you know, I'm going, You know, so if you go to M-Cuban and see it, I mean, it's just like, it's crazy stuff. But we did did a dance the other day where she's doing this for about 15 seconds and I'm just taking whipped cream to the beat, you know, and just eating, you know, whipped cream from the the container. And it got 1.6 million views in 20 hours. You know, and it's just, you know... Every new social media platform that takes off, there's always early adopters that get the benefit of being an early adopter, but what's been brilliant about TikTok is it's really it's not completely kid safe, but for the most part it's kid safe and I have no problems with my 10 and 13 year old being on there and it there's families and families and families that are going on there like us doing these stupid dances that are fun as a family to do that you know my kids love the attention they're getting online and you know it, it brings us together, and it's just a completely different platform for that.
0: But is it more for you than a family bonding tool, or do you think it's someplace you, as the Mark Cuban brand, needs to be? Or something? oh
1: yeah, because these are thirteen to sixteen year old kids, you know, mm-hmm. even younger. You know, eleven. They're supposed to be thirteen, I guess. But you know, even my eleven year old's lying on there and saying, or ten year old is saying he's thirteen. Um, <laughs> I try not to say that's okay, but you know, <laughs> but. Yeah, so, you know, everything has its own, has every social media platform finds its demo. You know, Twitter has found its demo. It's not really a young demo at all. Instagram started off as a younger demo, and it's aging, right? Facebook started off for college kids, and now it's, you know, my mom and grandmoms and everybody else, you know? And, and TikTok is kind of filled from underneath. And so my my... Thirteen and sixteen-year-olds used to post everything on Instagram. Now they don't, and it's not that they do everything. You know, Instagram is still pretty pictures, your food, your your selfies, and you know, and going around places where you can take a unique picture. But TikTok is just more engaging. And when I look to see what they're doing just by themselves, you know, what's their cure for boredom? It's they'll go through Instagram. They won't touch Facebook. Um, they don't really go on Twitter, but. If you haven't tried TikTok, it, it's addictive watching these stupid dances. And that's what they do. And so to your point, from a brand, so I got the Mavs on there. We, you know, we've got, done some things with Shark Tank on there. Um, you have to be there. And even like Snapchat now is aging older. And it's, it's more chat and it's more one-to-one. There's not as many stories as there used to be. You know, used, you know, through discovery and everything, there were brands that would do stories and that's all fine and good. But finding a way to engage via TikTok because it's so quick and so simple. Um, for now, that's it. And, and it, you know, I got into my 16 and my 10-year-old got into this battle of, you know, will Snapchat be the thing of the future or will TikTok or will there be something else? And they all think there'll be something else. It's just... They recognize that there's always going to be something new, and they're ready to adapt.
0: These are all very powerful platforms, but I think there's a double-edged sword there you have to acknowledge. I mean, the regulatory
1: threat that is looming over this whole space, what what is your take on that? You know, the law of unintended consequences always catches up. Um, I'm not a big fan of trying to regulate them, but I understand that, you know, Facebook has stepped in it so many times that somebody's going to do something that twitter um, has a unique responsibility that it's been given more than it's asked for and there's a chance it gets regulated um it comes down to the highs hows and what's you know what how is it actually implemented and so while i'm not a big fan i think it's inevitable that facebook will and needs to be um regulated and we'll see what happens with twitter like you and i were talking you know back in the day you would put out a news release on pr newswire and it could be the most incendiary news release ever, and no one would get mad at PR Newswire. But now, even now, if someone took 280 characters, put it in a PR Newswire release, and just put it out there, again, no matter how horrific, no one would condemn PR Newswire. Mm -hmm. But the immediacy of Twitter now, it's it's just everybody's got a different perspective. So I think they do end up being regulated, even though I think, like I said, the law of unintended consequences could bite us on it.
0: Well, there's regulation. There's also the possibility some of these
1: bigger companies could get actually broken up. That would be stupid. Um, And I'll tell you why. Um, Going back to AI. If you look at the most powerful AI companies in the universe, they're the companies that people have spoken about breaking up. Facebook, Google, um, to a lesser extent, Amazon. And they're doing the research that's keeping our country competitive with other countries in terms of AI. Vladimir Putin says whoever dominates AI is going to dominate the world. China, with their 20, 25, or twenty thirty, whatever it is, futures said AI was going to drive it. And you see what they're doing, just not caring about privacy and just pushing everything with AI. If you look at the number of research papers that are being released every month about AI. So we have to be careful what we ask for in terms of breaking them up, because we don't really have an AI policy as a nation, and we haven't really taken significant steps to invest in it. And so as a result, if we break up these companies and they, don't, and they don't have the resources to invest, we're losing our best opportunities. And plus, they're the ones that are hiring the best and brightest. You know, we're actually keeping, you know, students from going to work for the Chinese or going to work for the Russians or going to work somewhere else by Facebook, et cetera, hiring them, even if, they, if it's in a lab in Germany or if it's in a lab in Japan or wherever it may be. That's a valuable, critical resource to this country that we would lose if we broke up those country companies. And so I think that's, we, again, we have to be very careful. And I, you know, I'm not totally opposed to regulation if it's smart, but I would be opposed to breaking them up. I think that'd be stupid.
0: Does the government, though, need to get involved
1: in AI and supporting that? Yeah, I mean, this is the new space mission. Hmm we really, 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 really need to invest in it. We really do. Because if we don't, it could be cataclysmic, literally. Yeah, I mean, once... So not to get too Elon Musk and and too Terminator on us, but, you know, once you get robotic manual dexterity, once you get batteries that can go for days instead of hours, and once you have, you know, processors that can do, you know, 100x what they're doing now, you know, we're going to be discussing red pill, blue pill. You know, it, it, and we'll be talking about, you know, military weaponry driven by robotics and AI. And if we don't dominate that and somebody else does, that, that's not a pretty picture. And so I think, you know, we really, as a, or as a country, need to focus and make that a priority because to not be dominant... And particularly if the adversaries, adversaries are, then we have problems. Can't think of a better note to end on than that. Yeah, right? Thanks for coming out, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was fun.
0: This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.